0: This is Alumni Allowed, a podcast by Graduate Center students for Graduate Center students. In each episode, we talk with a GC graduate about their career path, the ins and outs of their current position, and the career advice they have for students. This series is sponsored by the Graduate Center's Office of Career Planning and Professional Turner, a Ph.D. candidate in educational psychology at the Graduate Center. I work in the Office of Career Planning and Professional Development, and I interviewed Naomi, who earned her Ph.D. in social welfare from the Graduate Center. She is now Assistant Commissioner for Policy and Planning in the Division of Children and Family Well-Being at the Administration of Children's Services for New York City. So today in the office, I have Naomi Shear, and she graduated from our Ph.D. in social welfare. So welcome to the office, Naomi. So glad Mm -hmm. you could come. We don't have yet a social welfare PhD, so it's going to be interesting. You definitely have a new perspective. So why don't you tell us what you currently do and maybe what those job responsibilities look like. Sure. So, um, hello everybody.
1: (laughs) I am an assistant commissioner for policy and planning in the Administration for Children's Services in New York City. I work in the Division of Primary Prevention. It's called Child and Family Wellbeing. And our job is to create programs to help families so that they never come through the door of child welfare. And so our goal is to prevent abuse before it occurs,
0: which is exciting. Okay. So you're at a a city government agency, so you're a government employee. Great. I'm a civil servant. (laughs) Great. Great. So why don't you walk us a little bit through the journey to this job because I think it started before graduate school or during graduate school. Sure, yeah. so I should say I've worked in
1: child welfare um, my entire career, about 16 years. Um, I started as a case planner in preventive services in Philadelphia, providing in-home prevention services to families who had a case of abuse or neglect with Philadelphia. Um, and then my job, which it would be very similar in New York, was to go into the home and try to help the family learn how to parent differently or basically to become safe again. So how can they parent their children in a way that would maybe make some changes? Typically, our cases, which is true across the system, um, are founded on neglect, which means that maybe there was a lack of supervision, the parent ran out to the store, and the kids were left home. Often it's because of poverty. We're often working with families who have, it's a single parent home, has multiple jobs, and there aren't enough resources to meet the need. And this is, I would argue, not the best way to meet the need. (laughs) So that's why I'm so excited about the position I currently have, um, to help families so that they don't need child welfare to try to, you know, be the parent they want to be. All that said, I then went on to get my master's degree in um, public policy and public administration. And I worked uh, for the Senate for a little while, which was an interesting experience. I worked for Hillary Clinton, um, uh-huh. which was very different than working on the front line of uh-huh. the case of social work. I then uh, also went on to work with older youth in foster care. This was all in D.C. at the time. And then I came back to New York, um, where I went to work with older youth in foster care. And then I went to work at a child welfare agency in New York City. Where I had the good fortune of being there at a time where everybody was working towards uh, changing the culture at the agency and trying to improve our outcomes. At that point, I had enrolled in a PhD program here at the CUNY Grad Center, and really, it's a program housed at Hunter mm-hmm. College. And I, I absolutely loved it. We, I, at the time, was a manager in the travel for agencies. Uh, what's called a either quality assurance or policy and practice department, um, which was an amazing position to have while in grad school. So I had the good fortune of getting to do research um, and use my lit review skills to try to figure out, okay, if certain outcomes are not what we want them to be, if young people in foster care are not meeting their educational goals, or if young if children are moving foster homes too often, or if kids aren't going home to their parents quick enough or not enough in general, What do people, what does the research say is the best practice on how to work on these issues? Because everybody struggles with this in child welfare. And because of that research, and because of, um, I was so fortunate to have bosses at the time who were really supportive of that type of research, which was mm, great, yeah. um, we got to make a lot of changes at the agency, and it was really fun. And we did it as in a team, and it was just exciting. And so we did lots of things to try to decrease the number of movements between young people moving foster homes, which is very detrimental for kids through the research that I was able to do, which I even did for my quantitative stats class to try to analyze why were kids moving homes, um, why were there high movers versus low movers, and try to understand it. Um, We also then, I, with a team, was able to do research on casework practice models, which were very novel at the time in New York City and really across the country. And it was a method for how to work with a family. So often in child welfare... We send case planners, I was that case planner, (laughs) often who are um, young or uh, just have a bachelor's degree into a home to work with families with a lot of needs, and we don't necessarily give them a roadmap for how to work with a family or how to set a goal with a family and have the family give voice to what do they want to see for their family. Oftentimes instead, we send families to services and hope that fixes the problem. But just because a family goes to, let's say, parenting class, doesn't mean they've now learned how to maybe discipline a little bit differently with their teenager, especially if the parenting class only covers babies. And so you can imagine, it's not the most effective way to do our work. And so after doing quite a bit of research, I stumbled upon solution-based casework, which is a great model (laughs) for how to work with families Um, and how to co-design with families goals that they want to see for their own family so it's not being dictated to that, which makes no sense. Long story short, I got to help with the implementation of this model across the agency, and then the model spread to many other agencies in the city, and I got to be part of an implementation team with other agencies figuring out how to implement a case or practice model in child welfare.
0: And this was your dissertation. And this became my dissertation. Was it your dissertation before like you knew this was going in, oh, or you were implementing it at work, and you said, oh, I've got research that I'm doing. This can be a project.
1: No, in no way did I think this oh. was going to be my dissertation. I actually, to be honest, at the time, thought implementation, how dry and boring. Um, <laughs> but it became such a large part of my job, and I found it so, in the end, interesting. So it's like, you can have the best model in the world, but if you can't implement it... It doesn't much matter. And so there was such little research on how to do it well, I became interested in it. And because every agency went about implementing the model differently, it was such a great way to figure out, okay, what were the experiences of staff at the different agencies? And so I did a qualitative research study uh, from frontline staff all the way up to the executive directors to learn about their experiences with various implementation methods. It was actually really fun in the end.
0: Wow. Okay. And you were also doing double duty, getting stuff done in school at work.
1: (laughs) I always worked full time, so yeah. Yeah. And I taught, so it was a
0: lot. But so why um, in (gasps) social work and social welfare? um, It's really common to just stop at the MSW, the Master's of Social Work. So what made you? Wait, did you, you didn't actually say you had MSW. I a Bachelor's of Social Work,
1: a Master's of Policy, and then a PhD in Social Welfare.
0: Okay, and so what pushed you to get the PhD and become a researcher? Sure, so
1: at the time, I was working with older youth in foster care when I applied to the program, and I was so struck by the fact that we had such little funding, and I wanted to understand how can we help older youth in foster care with our limited resources in the best way possible? Because I felt like we were making decisions not based on any information, and I could see some of our young people not having outcomes in the way that we had hoped they would. And I, I wanted to know, I wanted to go to research to actually fix that problem. And I was very idealistic. And It was like, great. I'm going mm-hmm. to get a PhD, and then I'm just going to fix it. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, I became really interested in how can we make decisions that are based on, and also build up the research, on also positive research. We often focus on child welfare on all the problems, and not a lot of the solutions, which I also found to be not very useful in practice.
0: Okay. And so for other people in your field thinking about the Ph.D., what, what would you advise? Like, how do you know it's time for a Ph.D. versus sticking with your master's? It's such a great question. I would say, quite honestly, if you really
1: enjoy practice and want to become an administrator, you don't need a Ph.D. Okay. And it's a long journey and one that you don't need to go on. And a master's in social work will get you very far in the field. And you could probably pursue all of the practice dreams you ever wanted to. I would say a PhD is useful if you want to do research, if you want to do evaluation, if you want to teach. I will say I've gotten to have the positions I've been able to have, I think, because I'm a PhD. So it certainly has opened doors for me. So I think that's been a benefit for sure. But yeah, so if you want to go into like the higher levels of government, if you want to run an agency, a PhD really is useful. But that doesn't mean you have to have one either. So
0: I'm glad I got it. I think that... You got to do what you wanted to do I in, got the, to do in what I your to position. Do. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that allowed for that freedom. Yeah. Um, great. So now let's talk about working government in general. Like, yeah. what do you find are the best parts of working for a city government? I know we've encouraged those jobs in this office, and we've heard good things. And you were in nonprofit, So why don't you just weigh some of those sure. um, pros and cons of those different sectors. Yeah. yeah.
1: I personally loved working in nonprofit, mm-hmm. but I was very fortunate to work at an organization that had an amazing culture. And so I would say when interviewing or considering where to go, culture really matters. And so considering questions about what is the work-life balance, um, what is, what's turnover like at particularly a director level up, you know, that, those are questions to see, do people like it here? Um, I had a great team and a wonderful executive director, so it was a wonderful place to work. Um, I probably would have actually just stayed there for many years to come. I was there for a long time, um, except I had a baby. And the hours, particularly in child welfare, are pretty untenable if you have a baby. Okay. And so I was working nights and weekends. And I had a, was running a program at the time in Brooklyn, Bronx, Harlem, and then oh, Westchester. Wow. Oh, wow. So I just could not continue. And so yeah. I stayed until my daughter was about one and then decided I just couldn't do it. And so I switched to government, quite honestly, because I needed the hours. Yeah. And... And I have had that. It is incredible work I've like, found. I have great benefits. As a parent, I value that greatly. Um, and it really matters to me. Now I have two young children. But there's also exciting things about government that I'm enjoying too. It's It's really fascinating to see how policies get made. Um, it's exciting to be in my current position because I get to, one, help develop new programming for the entire city, which is, it's just such a gift to get yeah. to do that. Obviously in team, it's exciting to figure out how to work across what major complete that families bring to us, and it's very valid that often to get their needs met they have to go to so many different agencies and it's really challenging for any family but let alone a family who's poor and working multiple jobs or potentially living in a shelter and your kids are going to school in another borough it's just impossible and so figuring out how to work with other agencies like right now we're working with health and hospitals on initiatives working with department of health and mental hygiene and Mm -hmm. it's so exciting to provide families with holistic care that actually beats their needs and
0: that responded to their needs. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and I get to use,
1: uh, my degree every day. I've done qualitative research on the job to actually have family voice and practice, which is something I'm pushing at my level which mm-hmm. is exciting, and that's starting to pick up. I'm also trying to push that we should evaluate all of our programs and hire PhDs to do that so mm-hmm. that we're making good decisions with our yes. funding and limited resources And that's happening more. That they're informed. Yeah. yeah. And try to build into the contracts that that has to happen. Um, so it's fun. Wow, very yeah.
0: exciting that you get to be involved in all these things. Yeah, that's Especially great. Especially purposes that you're really behind. Yeah. And yeah. so that's what you probably get out of this nonprofit and... Um, government work, right? It's been, I feel very blessed to have
1: had both experiences and feel very lucky. Great. Yeah.
0: Let's see, what's a typical day like for an assistant commissioner? Well, it, <laughs> it
1: is so varied, which yeah. I do really enjoy. It can be anything from going to City Hall um, to meet with, like, I'm part of an interagency council there, to going to a hearing, to, to literally conducting research, to looking at data and outcomes and evaluation. Um, I sit on our IRB review group, <laughs> um, so doing that. Um, uh,
0: the IRB for children...
1: ACS. For ACS, gotcha. Yeah. Um, I also help to head up some of our new programmatic initiatives, so... It could be meeting out in the field with program directors and nonprofits and agencies and figuring out what's going well and what's not, and how can we work together to make it better, things of that nature. So
0: your everyday is different?
1: Very. <laughs> which I okay. I would loathe it not to be. I, okay, great. So I
0: prefer the variety. Okay, and you make your way all around the city. I do, awesome. which I also enjoy. Awesome. Yeah, awesome. And I also oversee a data team. It's fun. Oh, great. And so you briefly touched on this. What are the kind of educational requirements for being in these different positions that you've held? Um, I'd say... Um, maybe you explain this story. So you certainly
1: could get to my level and have a master's in public administration or a master's in social work with enough years of experience, for sure. Mm. I think I got there quicker because I had a PhD, and mm-hmm. I also think it changes the lens in which I do the work. Mm. Uh, I think I break evaluation and a research leads to the work. I also would say though that I think my practice experience for years of working as a case planner and a supervisor and a director and working on the up ground, on the ground <laughs> and working up through the ranks of that was absolutely invaluable. And I think it would be hard to do my job without having both. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would highly encourage any student to get both experiences. Yeah. Because well, I most
0: of our PhDs in social welfare will probably have that, correct? Typically, yes, okay. at CUNY.
1: Other okay. schools, no. Oh, Other okay. schools, uh, folks go straight through school, and I mm. would not recommend it. I really like cutie and Hunter's outlook that you have to have experience. Okay. Uh, I think it's invaluable. Great.
0: How about we explore... Um, your job application processes? What is it like to get a position at your level? I know sometimes these hiring processes can go on for months, right? They really can. (laughs) I think
1: all the stereotypes of government I have learned are real. Okay. And it's true and probably particularly hard right now. So if you don't have a civil... I would say step number one, take the civil service exam. even If you want a director title or above,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you need to still be civil service right now, for a lot of reasons, which I will bore you with, but okay. there's there are reasons. <laughs> so until you have a civil service title, it's pretty much impossible at this moment in time to get to the government. Um, the exams come out monthly, and you can check to see, uh, to take them. Yeah. Um, so that's one. We used to not use that practice, but that has since changed. The uh, the next is I would go on informational interviews. They could not be more valuable. So like if you want to get into government, nonprofit, for profit, I imagine, just meeting with people and hearing their story and finding out from them without a real ask of, hey, do you have a position? You meet tons of people in the field and make connections. And really, that's a lot of the time how you get a job because somebody knew of an opening somewhere else, and then they, like, it's very helpful to go get a cup of coffee and do an informational interview.
0: I also get to learn about the culture you mentioned. Yeah. You can find out what the culture is like at that organization.
1: Or others that they may know about. Yeah. And so, like, giving, get advice on, like, the field that you're interested in going in and, like, what's the landscape look like is just
0: so useful. And so what was your hiring process like? Um... Actually, that so yeah. <laughs> for my current well, my current position, I
1: actually came in not as a assistant commissioner; I came in as a director, and that happened because when I was at Graham, I worked with tons of different people from all over the place, and I knew someone who was a very high up in foster care at ACS, and she was kind enough to meet me for coffee and talk to me about her experience and find out like, do I want to come work at ACS? And, and she knew of the position that was opening. She's like, you should apply for it. And so, and I was like, all right. And then she forwarded them my resume and then I got an interview. Oh. So, and then I got this position kind of the same way. So I was like, you know, I'd love to do something a little bit different. I'm excited to kind of take my next step. And I, I, Saw this position and reached out to a colleague and was like, Hey, I saw this position. Do you know about this division? Would it be good to work in? Is it interesting? And then I got an interview. And so I've been very lucky, but mm-hmm. I'd say informational interviews could not be more. Okay. They yeah. have helped my entire career.
0: Great. We definitely recommend those as well. Because
1: also in government, to be honest, like for every position I post for, I get hundreds of applicants. Really? Okay. And I have actually, I will say though, of all the positions I've hired for, I've kind of they've come out of the pool. They have not been recommendations. Mm-hmm. I've been really lucky to find really great people in the in the resume pool. Right. Um,
0: and so let's yeah. since you are informed on this, and we've done it in one other episode, but it's been a while. So let's go yeah. back to the how you fill out the best way to fill out these applications because there's. Oh, my. There's computer (laughs) systems like reading for keywords, right? That's true. We don't do that. Oh, okay.
1: So I will say, though, there's humans reading for keywords. And so when I get two to 500 applications, and I am not exaggerating that number, I have two piles that I do first. Pile one, you get to move on to like be considered at all at any level. Pile two is no. And the, to know what to avoid, spelling mistakes will knock you out of my pile. Because okay. if you have hundreds of applicants, you have to have a weeding process. Yes. So have someone check your resume. If formatting is lousy or it, it doesn't look neat, I will you will make it to round two. So like even simple things make a huge yeah. difference.
0: When there's such a large volume. Yeah. yeah. And so that's step
1: one. Mm-hmm. Um, I would also look at what are the qualifications for this particular job. And if you have them, make sure your resume highlights those. In government in particular, we are not allowed to hire for a particular position unless the qualifications match the resume identically.
0: That's but true at CUNY as well.
1: Yeah. And so you have to even use the words. Mm-hmm. So, like, we need someone who has research experience. You have to literally put research experience. And then I can say, oh, look, <laughs> um, <sighs> that's really important. Okay. And so, and a Kojic cover letter that, again, makes sense. And yeah. <laughs> So, doing things like applying for a job and then your cover letter is actually to another organization mm. will not get you further along no. in the interview pool.
0: True. Yeah, and these are all services that our office also offers. Wow. Resume reading, cover Great. letter ed- revisions. Yeah. yeah. Take advantage. <laughs> I always have
1: other folks read my re- my writing and mm-hmm. it, everybody needs that.
0: Yeah, definitely. Great. Great. Um, Do you have any other advice that maybe you'd want to share with current graduate students, whether they're social welfare or not, or master's or Ph.D.?
1: I think my really the only advice I could offer would probably be for social welfare, I imagine, Mm -hmm. or maybe public policy folks. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say the other reason to do informational interviews is that I found particularly early in my career, not now, but early in my career, I had a, a vision for what a job would be like, and it didn't match reality, mm-hmm. and so it's also good if you're ever able to, to shadow somebody, to see what is their day like, does that sound like, do I like to sit at a computer, do I mm-hmm. like to move around a city, do mm-hmm. I like to meet with a lot of people, do I only want to stare at numbers, and like all those things are good things, we need all those people in our system, and it helps to figure out who are you, what makes what brings you joy, mm-hmm. and then like, and then figure out how to maximize your strengths. And like, once you observe it, somebody on their job, you have a sense of like, ooh, that seems great, or that seems like something I would loathe, and, like, good to know that. Mm -hmm. Um, So shadowing is also, if possible, is a great thing to be able to do.
0: Do you find that people in, say, your department are open to those kinds of things? For sure. Okay, yeah. Um,
1: What we don't allow is if we're meeting with families, we can't allow shadowing. Because you need someone who's had a background check and a Mm -hmm. family who's comfortable, Mm -hmm. as you may imagine. Um, But no, I actually... Uh, meet with interested people all the time and I I also because people have done it for me get coffee with students all the time
0: great awesome so is it is it pretty normal the schedule you had with your program where everybody's working like that so I mean do you want to talk about like how you juggled that or not well (laughs) um
1: so I think in child welfare because it can be crisis oriented if you're working on the program there's two sides in in, ch- in child welfare nonprofits, There's like an evaluation department who usually works pretty regular hours. And then there's the program folks who usually do not work regular mm-hmm. hours. And typically, it is fairly expected to be on call. There's some more programs I found out in hospital settings that I think have much better hours than maybe child welfare. Child welfare in particular is notorious for the hours because it's just what the job is when it happens yeah. You have to be there. yeah looking back on it i think now that i've grown <laughs> i think i could have done it differently and probably had like i'm on call this night at someone else's mm. there are probably ways to figure it out but the, the culture of child welfare is typically not lend itself to that mm. culture in a hospital social work setting is much more hourly mm. in that you can have really intense exciting work i like intense work uh, and then leave and it's done and Great. so, I think that's something to be mindful of. I enjoyed mm-hmm. those hours before I kids, and if you're looking for that level of intensity, it can be exciting. But mm-hmm. it, it depends what you want in a job. And so,
0: these are student, these are decisions that current graduate students can make about where they're going to spend their experience hours. Or yeah, right. I would yeah. ask people
1: in an interview, like, what what hours
0: are? Yeah. yeah, that should that should be a big part of it. Great. Okay, well, I mean, if, if that's it's if, if that's everything, it's been really informative, and I want to thank you uh, for coming in. It's been great to thank hear you. Thank you so much. Thank you again to Naomi for coming into the office and speaking with us about her career. The Graduate Center's Office of Career Planning and Professional Development offers many of the services Naomi recommended in preparing for the job market. Make an appointment to speak with one of our career advisors at cuny.is slash career plan. You can find a list of our upcoming events there, and also follow us on Twitter at Career Plan GC. Thanks for listening.